Hey, before we get into this week's episode of The Culture, just a quick reminder that if you want to stay up to date with the show, you can follow it in your favourite podcast app. Just search for The Culture. All right, let's get into it. Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and welcome to The Culture, a weekly show from Schwartz Media where we take a deep dive into the latest in the world of pop culture, arts and entertainment. This week on the show, it's another first for us. It's our first ever episode about a book. This particular book was one of the most hotly anticipated releases of the year. And now that it's out, it's absolutely smashing sales records. I am, of course, talking about Sally Rooney's third novel, Beautiful World, Where Are You? Rooney's two previous novels, Conversations with Friends and Normal People, have sold millions of copies, and she's widely regarded as one of the smartest and most successful writers of her generation. She writes stories about young people, very normal young people, navigating life, love, sex and friendships while dealing with the existential anxiety of the world slowly crumbling around them thanks to climate change and economic inequality. Her new book covers similar ground to her earlier work, but this time, more than ever, Rooney's turning inward and grappling with what it means to be a successful writer in the current moment, especially a young woman writer who still has her fair share of detractors. So why has Rooney's work struck such a chord with millions of readers, particularly millennials? And does Beautiful World, Where Are You, live up to the hype? To help figure all of this out, and we're going to do it without spoilers... I'm joined by Madeline Gray, a writer and book critic who wrote about Sally Rooney's new novel in the latest issue of The Monthly. Madeline, thanks for joining The Culture. Thank you so much for having me. Madeline, can you start by telling me a bit about your relationship to Sally Rooney and her work? When did you first read her? What was the first book and and what kind of impact did that have on you? Yeah, so it was 2017. I'm Australian, but I was studying in England um, at Oxford doing my master's in English literature. And I was writing a lot about erotic female friendships, which I was like, you know, personally quite invested in at that time. And also women in books who were trying to work their way out of neoliberal entrapment, women who realize the world is structurally a bit fucked and are working out how better to live. And I was reading a lot of like really academic books, kind of hard books. And one day I was quite hungover and I went to the bookshop near my house and bought Conversations with Friends, which was Sally Rooney's first book, which had just come out. And there'd been a bit of buzz about it, but obviously not as much as the buzz um, around her latest novel or about normal people. And I kind of read that book hunched up on my chair, (laughs) a shell of a human being in one day, but it was just so enjoyable and it kind of turned into common parlance and good novel writing, all of the kind of academic thoughts that I'd been having and dealing with in very different vernaculars and dialogues. And so I wanted to start thinking about that because I loved how she was making 
stuff I've been thinking about in hard words, um, accessible in easier words. So you were studying Sally Rooney while at Oxford. A lot of normal people is set at a similarly prestigious university, Trinity College in Dublin. Yeah. Did your personal experience give you any extra insight into Rooney's work, that particular book, do you think? It was very interesting. Obviously, being Irish is different to being Australian, but at the same time, there's two kind of parallel relations to the English and Oxford and academic institutions, what with our country's um, colonial histories and and so on. So, um, yeah, I, I loved personally having someone kind of deconstruct that institution, feeling outside of it, but being within it, that felt very pertinent to me at that time. Um, and as well, it's a small world. So like a lot of people that I was studying with at Oxford had been to Trinity College Dublin um, for their undergraduate degrees and kind of knew Sally a bit from because it's a small world. Um, and so very much from the beginning, it was clear that this was a microcosmic novel that was going to reverberate around the world because of the kind of generality of the kind of institution she describes somewhere very elite for learned people to learn more is something that ramifies and, and is in every country. Every country has the equivalent of a Trinity College Dublin, not every country, but oh, actually they probably do. <laughs> um, but, you know, in Australia, it's like Sydney Uni, Melbourne Uni, and those elite institutions are the same kind of everywhere. Yeah, right. And can you tell me a bit about Sally Rooney's life and how you think her personal experiences are reflected in her novels. Yeah, so she she's 30 and she yeah grew up in Castlebar in County Mayo in Ireland, which is like a small place, 10,000 people. Mum was an arts worker. So she grew up around books and then at age 18, 17, she went to Trinity College Dublin on a scholarship. And because she was big into debating, quickly got into the inner circle of kind of Trinity College's elite and I don't know if you like personally debated in high school, but I did a little bit. And it is a really weird, weird little world. Um, I don't know whether I want to answer that question truthfully <laughs> because of what it says about me. I did. Oh, do my so- God, did you? I did do some debating in high school. I did, yes. And I yeah. <laughs> I think I know exactly what you're talking about. But, but break it down for us. Yeah. So basically, I mean, there's all different types of, of debating and different kind of spheres and levels of it. But at school, you know, it's mostly private schools and you've got people learning how to argue with each other based on uh, things that they don't necessarily believe in. The idea is that you have to get a topic and then just argue to the best of your ability uh, and beat the other side with the power of your arguments. I remember one time in high school I got, it was like that Australia should never leave the Iraq war. Wow, this is really taking me back. There were so many debates on stuff like this. Exactly, with these like bizarro kind of fascist topics. Yeah, and you're, and there you're constantly like a, playing devil's advocate, really. Yeah, and you're a 15-year-old and you're like, oh, shit, like, um, okay. And you just have to like get into the mind of a fascist. It's really weird. <laughs> um, and so the debating world that Sally Rooney entered at Trinity College Dublin is that like on steroids um, with people who are very privileged, who are learning to dismember each other in arguments, not necessarily believing all of the stuff that they're saying, but wanting the cultural capital of being the best at arguing. And Sally Rooney ended up winning the like international debating championships in 2013, I think it was. And she did this essay that was called Even If You Beat Me, I think. And it's this fascinating essay where she talks about being a university debater and how she kind of learned to revalue honesty, I suppose, or trying to actually say what you mean because so much of her university career 
was being disingenuous. And so Conversations with Friends is a novel, really, her first novel, that is about trying to get past the pressure to say what will best represent you in a conversation and instead try and say things that you actually mean and understand other people. So that's kind of how I understand her autobiography very much filtering into her first novel, at Mm. least, yeah. Her second book, Normal People, was the one that really brought her to international acclaim. I mean, I think the book has sold over 3 million copies now, which is astonishing. It is kind of the kind of hype that I haven't really seen since Harry Potter and Twilight. Guys, I don't want to be dramatic, but like if my flat was burning down in a fire, my advanced reader's copy of Sally Rooney's new book is the first thing I would save. If Sally Rooney wanted to write about watching paint dry, I would read it. Show me a book that just blew your goddamn mind because of how incredible it was. Yes, it's very Harry Potter-esque. Yeah, all the more remarkable in the sense that it's not a sort of grand epic fantasy aimed at children. Why Why do you think that book in particular became such a phenomenon? I mean, I think obviously Rooney's writing is, is quite remarkable. Uh, we knew that from conversations with friends, but was there something about the story of normal people or the context and timing in which it landed or maybe a combination of all of those different things that made it really resonate as 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 much as it did. Yeah, Conversations with Friends had hyped up a lot of cultural capital for Bruni and for Bruni adjacent fans. So like on social media, um, Conversations with Friends was like a very, it was very shareable content. Like you'd have a photo of you holding the book and that was like, you were cool. And it was profiled in Vogue and like stuff like that. So she was fashionable. And Conversations with Friends was actually quite an interesting novel. It was four different people. One's bisexual. Two women have been in a relationship before. There's intergenerational gaps. It's actually quite complex. Like, I I really love that novel. And then with normal people, a few years later, people are wanting to attach them. Well, that's maybe cynical, attach themselves to the hype, but be part of whatever this journey is that's happening. And normal people is a really good gateway into the Rooney world because it kind of strips back what Conversations with Friends does. Well, Conversations with Friends is a kind of zigzaggy square with all these characters. Normal People is just like train tracks. It's just two characters, Marianne and Connell, who meet at school and she's rich and unpopular and he's poor and popular and then they go to uni and the situation changes except she remains rich, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And then basically the whole novel is them just like, am I in love with you? Maybe I'm in love with you. Oh, I might not be. Let's have sex. It deals with everything that Rooney is interested in, but in quite a um, traditional kind of linear way that the kind of is familiar for readers. It's a romance novel. Everyone's very disenfranchised and depressed and capitalism is bad, but it's quite a straightforward book. And so I think that a lot of people that really resonated with them because they could just log in, kind of attach themselves to it and go on the journey, just kind of like automatic pilot, if that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think I've had this conversation, I've had this conversation with friends who um, haven't read normal people and they're aware of the hype around it. And they're like, I've read the blurb, I've read the plot summary, doesn't seem that compelling. And I think what that maybe misses is that you're right, the story is very linear. It's not full of twists and turns. It's not necessarily super suspenseful. The tension comes from this relationship. But I think what my feeling as to why I think it resonated, certainly why it resonated with me, is that 
stories about love and relationships and connection have been around forever, but every generation, every year almost, things change. The way we interact with one another, the things we talk about, the signs and signals we send when we're muddling our way through relationships are different. So you can go and you can read Jane Austen and it's still very, you know, it's moving and it's wonderful and it's fun and it's interesting, but the way that relationships and courtships and breakups and heartbreak work now is so different to then. And I think Rooney does such a good job of understanding how all of this fits together, how we as a generation fit together in this world and how that relates to the conversations we have and the relationships we have. Yeah, absolutely. And she does this in all of her books, but certainly in Normal People. But um, she's so good at kind of working out the different textures of like messaging platforms and and talking to people and how you can have a certain control or autonomy in some textual mediums and not others. You know, like as a writer, I'm very drawn to text and words. And so um, uses of language always interest me. And I feel that the internet gives us new ways of using language and has really embedded written language in our lives in a new way. So the fact that so many relationships are now conducted, you know, almost primarily through the written word for a writer is sort of very juicy and interesting because I love the written word. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, yeah, really interested in pursuing how it is that people build relationships using language alone. So, like, if you're a good writer, for example, if you feel comfortable writing, email dialogue is brilliant for you in a relationship because you can kind of work out everything you want to say with all the cadences perfectly and you can kind of counter what the other person might say already in your perfectly formed email. Whereas if you're doing, you know, instant messenger or Facebook chat or whatever, you're constantly trying to one-up each other and you can't predict what the person's going to say next. And, and Bruni does that texture so well of the kind of waiting four minutes between a message and having an existential crisis in those four minutes because that pause is not the rhythm that you've been going that before. And that that kind of thing is what makes her novels so so understandable to anyone of her age who's reading them because that's how we talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that other people have done it and perhaps I'm just not as familiar <laughs> with, you know, obviously I haven't read every single book about young romance, but it's sort of surprising. It's one of those books that you read and you're like, oh, wow, this is one of the first times I've seen the way that I live and interact represented in, in literature in this kind of fun and gripping way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, but then I think that leads on to, to the new novel, To Beautiful World, Where Are You? Because when I was reading Conversations with Friends and Normal People, a lot of the ideas that Rooney was talking about, like capitalism, oh no, I feel disenfranchised but also impotent, those were thoughts that I'd had vaguely kind of percolating in my head but I'd never really seen them hmm. strung out in a book hmm. with a character whose life was similar-ish to mine. And in Beautiful World, Where Are You?, a similar thing is happening in that one of the main kind of philosophical scenes in the novel is someone standing in a supermarket and they're like, thinking about how all the food has been made by people who are essentially enslaved in other countries. And that's very bad, but also they still need to choose a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. And so I read that and was like, oh yeah, like good point, Sally, like fair. And then I was talking to my colleague at work who's 22, so a bit younger than me. And she was like, okay, we get it, Sally. We've all had that thought, you know, when we were like 14. <laughs> and I was like, shit, did we? Did we all have that thought when we were 14? I certainly didn't. No, no, no. This is a thing. The kids, like Gen Z, they're so much more woke than us. They're like yeah. way ahead of the game on this. They're probably reading Sally Rooney being like, you weird millennials, why is it taking you until 30 to figure out how broken the world is? Like that's, yes, precisely. that's the whole context in which we've been raised, basically. Exactly. We grew up in this. So I think that her novels are so good for a certain generation of people, but the ideas that she is 
engaging with are perhaps aging out younger readers who feel that she is behind the times, which is a fascinating thing to have occurred in the past six years. That is really interesting. And it, and it does take me to one of the things about her books, and in particular, Beautiful World, Where Are You?, that is probably one of the areas of her writing that I find the least compelling. But before we get into the specifics of that, let's let's just talk about the, the new book generally. I I honestly can't remember this much hype for a book. I cannot think of any other book released in the last few years or that might be released in the next couple of years that would elicit the kind of conversation and discussion and excitement as this one. It's obviously why we're talking right now. So there's enormous amount of expectation going into it. And I think partly that's because the first two books were so good. Also, we've seen the BBC Hulu adaptation of Normal People, which probably brought Sally Rooney into a whole bunch more people's lives. Really? Mm, Yeah. Hmm. Maybe you're telepathic. Hmm. You know, I, I did used to think that I could read your mind at times. In bed, you mean? Yeah. And afterwards, but... I don't know, maybe that's normal. It's not. Before we get into the ins and outs of the book, can you just tell me a bit about what it's about and how similar or different it is to normal people in conversations with friends? Yeah, so, I mean, she's working within the same remit. She's not suddenly imagined she's, you know, someone living somewhere else in the world having a different experience. So it's about four characters who are Irish and I don't think it's actually explicitly said, but it's suggested that they went to Trinity College Dublin or one of them went to Oxford um, for a bit of difference, a bit of zest. And basically two of the women are best friends and one of them is a very Rooney-esque character in that she is a very successful writer of literary fiction and she sold her first novel at age 24 for an ungodly amount of money and has since kind of been trying to deal with the like existential ramifications of being so popular and rich, so young, despite just writing novels as she sees it. And then you've got her friend Eileen, who is um, a literary copy editor in Dublin, uh, who's kind of at a bit of a loss for what to do with her life. She's in love with a guy, Simon, who's five or ten years older. There's a generational difference that they make a lot of. So she's in love with him, but kind of he's often gallivanting around with young people, but it's pretty evident they're going to end up together. And then there's the fourth character, Felix, who is a factory worker. Um, And the novelist character, Alice, meets him when she moves to the coast of Ireland to reset after she has a mental breakdown after her immense literary success. So that's the setup. And then not much else happens in the book, really, except for the four of them kind of meet up. The two Dubliners go down to the coast to see their friends and then kind of all of the emotional things that are unsaid and and below the surface kind of blow up on this one kind of holiday. That really doesn't do the book justice because it's not about plot. It is about dealing with contemporary life. But yeah, just as as a brief summation, that's it. No, it's a great summation. And I guess what it makes me think about and what I'm interested to get your initial reaction on is just even hearing you describe the characters in the plot is we're stepping into a very familiar world. If you've read Sally Rooney's other work, we're not going too far out. We're talking about a similar generation of people from similar backgrounds. I I find it really interesting that she keeps her primary female characters who tend to be more well-off 
keep falling for these working class guys. Mm-hmm. So even that dynamic is very Marianne and, and Connell, um, mm-hmm. as you know, what we have with um, with Felix and Alice. And as you said, it's not so much about plot, it's more about these interactions and the way that they think and live. When you read it, were you satisfied that we were getting more of what Rooney has already established herself as being good at, or were you hoping for maybe some kind of intellectual uh, flexing from her? My expectations weren't particularly astronomical, not because I don't think that she's a good writer, I do, but because this amount of hype, it would be an extraordinary thing for her to just just jump ship and write something totally different. I enjoyed the book. I thought it was good. And I, as I was reading the beginning half, there are elements of it where you can see that Rooney is trying to stretch where the audience, like how far they will go with her, because there are whole pages of kind of diatribe emails about philosophy and lost civilizations and kind of the aesthetics of plastic in our world. And those are things she kind of hinted at in snappy dialogue in her previous books. And here she just kind of goes for it for page and page at a time. So if you were just coming to Rooney's novels now and hadn't kind of established that trust that she's also funny and there will be a love story, you might get a bit annoyed with that. But I I thought that was where she was trying to make things different. And um, the other thing that she's trying to make different, and, and it is different about this book, is it's coming from the perspective of someone who is an immensely successful author. So the main quandary, apart from all the normal ones she deals with existentially, is um, if you are a really famous writer, can you still write good books? That's the main question kind of of this book for me. What you've identified there is I think both what I really love about the book and what I don't love about the book. So to start with what I don't like, I think I'm with her politically, right? Like every time she's delivering something polemic or diagnosing the problems with the state of the world. and I'm like, I get this totally. But I think even though it was a bit underdeveloped in normal people, I like the way that it came up organically and that it was part of characters just talking to one another. Whereas here I feel like, firstly, the conceit of the long emails, chapters that are just emails to each other. How many people do you know send long emails to one another as a way of communication? Is this a thing people are doing? Oh, precisely. I mean, I was like, wow, I never write emails this smart. She's so smart. Um, But also I was like, I only ever write emails that are really long when I'm like very upset with someone (laughs) and I can't organize my thoughts in another way. And I just need to kind of get it out in a structured way because in conversation I might fuck it up and just and just not communicate mm. what I feel mm. whereas her characters you're right it's kind of quite um like an exhibition of their intelligence and their thoughts from the mind of you know a one Sally Rooney it's kind of her it does feel a bit sometimes like she's just showing us all this knowledge that she has yeah and as as a writer I mean everyone's got ideas and it almost is like I can't quite find a way in which to express these views I have about the world through a scene or through an interaction or through Mm. this character moving through life so here's just like five pages of their thoughts dumped onto a page and like I said even if I agree with it it just doesn't quite feel as kind of sharp as it could be. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that the way that she's tried to make it work, um, and in some instances she has, but I do agree with you, is that um, the character who's mostly doing these long emails is this novelist character who who maybe would do that, who's very isolated, living by herself. And so when you're alone, as you know, in lockdown, you can go a bit crazy. <laughs> and yeah. And that kind of discourse is perhaps something that would more likely happen in that situation, but that's perhaps me being too kind. 
We're going to take a quick break and be right back. The City of London in Andrew Hagen's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. It's interesting you mentioned lockdown. Obviously, this book is not a kind of a lockdown book or a, or a book about quarantine or anything, but it's so hard to not read any kind of work or consume and engage with any kind of art right now without thinking about it in the context of what the world has just gone through. And so the character Alice does talk quite openly about how her social interactions feel a bit weird because she hasn't really talked to people in a long time. And I think that will speak to a lot of people who are re-emerging into the world, particularly, um, you know, I think what Rooney's always been really good at and what I find so kind of thrilling in this book is, is the way that her characters interact on a romantic or sexual level. The opening chapter being this first date on Tinder somehow just captures everything about what it's like to be in those kinds of situations. It's such a good scene. Yeah, and when you move through to house parties or first trips away or all of these things, that constant sense of doubt, uncertainty, feeling each other out, putting on a bit of bravado but not really being sure playing a role but feeling upset when you get called out for it. That's, to me, what she's so good at. I personally think that in terms of what you're talking about right there, mm. conversations with friends is her, like, piece de resistance. Just because, as you say, it's about characters trying on roles, seeing if they fit, and then being annoyed when people call them out. And um, there are some excellent scenes in Beautiful World, Where Are You, where that happens, especially between Felix um, and Alice. There are some moments where Felix completely punctures Alice's sense of self and you just want to you want to die when you're reading those pages <laughs> yeah um but in conversations with friends I think it happens far more orga- organically and far more often and I think that's because all of the characters lives intersect so much romantically like some people are best friends who used to be lovers some people like um rely on someone else for a job and so that kind of like how do I say, like puts electricity through their relationship in a in a different kind of way um and I feel like with beautiful world where are you it's a little bit like just normal people 2.0 a little bit in that it's two train tracks of people mm, does mm. that make sense it does make sense and i think probably what i'm experiencing is a bit of recency bias right which is i haven't read conversations with friends in a while and so yeah. this being the most recent thing of rooney's that i've read i'm like oh cool yeah no she's really good at doing this i really like it yeah and it is good the other the other thing i think that i like about this book a lot and i think in a way what Elevated, and I think there's already I'm seeing some criticism of the fact that, oh, you know, Rooney's got another character, this Alice, who's kind of like her, dealing with similar stuff that Rooney's dealing with, and it's a bit boring, and who really cares? It's not relatable. 
I actually think I have the opposite view to that. I actually think <laughs> it is quite interesting and quite brave for Sally Rooney to be as honest and upfront as she is about what her life is like now and her thoughts on publishing, on being a literary icon, on receiving praise and receiving criticism. I think that's, again, a very millennial thing. I think so many writers have have dealt with these things before and have pretended like they're not impacted by it and have pretended like they're above it, whereas she, through this character of Alice, is being so explicit. Like she says at some point, you know, the publishing industry offered me this huge contract. I have no idea what they're doing. I don't think they know what they're doing either, but I'm going to take their money. You know, I'm I'm totally going to take their money. Yeah, 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 of course. She says I'm going to be avaricious enough to take it or something. Yeah, and and even we'll get to this, I think, in a bit when we talk about some of the pushback, but there is a section where she's very explicit in saying, you know, Alice got the fawning adoration and then there was the next wave, which were all the takes responding to the fawning adoration. Like that's not, she's not even trying to hide that this is about (laughs) herself. And there's one bit in particular that, you know, it's in that frame of what we're talking about, these emails that are maybe not organic, but I might actually just read out this part very quickly because maybe it's because it spoke to me a little bit, but I just think that it is so explicitly Sally Rooney sharing her thoughts and feelings about where she's at to the world. And I found it quite moving. It's the start of chapter six. She says, every day I wonder why my life has turned out this way. I can't believe I have to tolerate these things, having articles written about me, seeing my photograph on the internet and reading comments about myself. When I put it like that, I think that's it. So what? But the fact is, although it's nothing, it makes me feel miserable and I don't want to live this kind of life. When I submitted the first book, I just wanted to make enough money to finish the next one. I never advertised myself as a psychologically robust person capable of withstanding extensive public inquiries into my personality and upbringing. Like, that sounds like a diary entry from Sally Rooney, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, as you read that, your heart breaks for Sally. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Yeah, I think, no, you're right. It is very brave of her to address it. So face on and also smart. She deals with it in a really interesting meta way. And then that takes her to being able to have conversations in the book about what she thinks the role of the author is in ways that perhaps might get less criticism because they're in the book than if she just said them in an interview. It's kind of um, enfolded in in fictionality, which perhaps is, is safer. So do you mind if I read a passage as well? Of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So it's like later in the book, chapter 12, Uh, She's saying to Alice, Alice, do you think the problem of the contemporary novel is simply the problem of contemporary life? I agree it seems vulgar, decadent, even epistemically violent to invest energy in the trivialities of sex and friendship when human civilization is facing collapse. But at the same time, that is what I do every day. Mm. I talked to a friend about that and she said, um, is this whole book about settling? Mm. Mm. And I don't know if that's the right way to describe it but there is something about this book and about all of her books that are about attuning yourself with the situation you are in having knowledge of all the ways that it is wrong like coming to terms with things maybe rather than settling exactly and coming to terms with it and um trying to work out what you can make from from bad circumstances and i mean that's that's not an that's not an original idea for a book but it's it's very much the situation that so much of so many of us find ourselves in now more than ever and I think she does that so well we'll be right back after the break (laughs) 
This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. Subscribe now at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. Madeline, it's really hard to talk about Sally Rooney without talking about the talk around Sally Rooney, uh, despite being, or perhaps because she's so enormously popular and critically adored, there has been significant criticism of her work. I'll be really honest with you. I don't really understand a lot of it. And I don't mean that in the sense that I disagree with critics, because I personally have some of my own criticism of, of some of her work and some of her writing. But I can't quite understand where this Sally Rooney backlash comes from. The closest I can put my finger on it is that as soon as someone becomes extremely successful and popular, there is a temptation within certain people to try and figure out why that's bad or wrong. And I think that becomes heightened when that person is a woman or a young woman in particular, or a young woman who is not afraid of just speaking her mind and talking about things on her own terms. It seems like a lot of people just can't really kick back and accept that even if they don't like the work, it's fine for it to exist and it's fine for other people to like it. You've thought about this a lot more than I have. Do you have a sense of what does drive this this critical pushback to Rooney and her work? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Just in the most kind of simple and reductive, but I think correct sense, it's sexism. I think it was like Simone de Beauvoir who said, when a man writes, it's general. And when a woman writes, it's specific. I feel like when women and young women um, write about their lives, there is a kind of um, like a collective kind of imagining that we've somehow come up with that because women are disenfranchised uh, in so many ways, perhaps their characters and books should reflect the lives of other disenfranchised people for them to be ethical in some way. And I see that perspective and I think it's good to represent diverse views but that is a take that does not get attached to books by writers from other subject positions if a man is writing about men or a man is writing about people like him that criticism is very very rarely made I mean like this is not to say the criticism should be made I actually don't think it should but like you know like Brian Brown recently released a whole book of bloody stories about men and he says yeah they're all white men and then the, the commentator in the good weekend last week was like yeah they're all white men and they kind of nod and just hmm. keep going with the story so yeah it's about the expectations that in here in um in stories from people from marginalized perspectives i think i think you're right that there's this gendered expectation of women writers being you know quote unquote empathetic and caring yeah. and understanding of the world and and Rooney obviously positions herself on the left of the political spectrum. And so at the sense of, well, why can't you do these other things? It's like the bar she set for herself or the bar that other people have set for her, she's not attaining. I mean, I find this, the the, the criticism of her books lacking diversity, I find it the most frustrating criticism because I believe very passionately about diversity in publishing. Mm. 
But I also think it's strange to expect Sally Rooney or to want Sally Rooney to write about characters other than the ones that she writes about. Like we said at the start, people will write fiction based on their experiences and their worldview. That doesn't mean that they can't write about other things. But Sally, if Sally Rooney wanted and felt confident writing about, you know, having a person of colour in her novels, good on her. She clearly doesn't think she can do that, doesn't want to do that. And yeah. I'm less interested in having Sally Rooney write about, you know, my family's Pakistani, <laughs> having a Pakistani character in one of her books. I would rather a Pakistani author write that Yeah, character. and do it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um I I mean, Rooney's work has been so popular, it has inspired a lot of writers. I know it's also inspired a lot of publishers and literary agents. I know for a fact who've been sent out with marching orders from their bosses to find the next Sally Rooney's all over the world, including here in Australia. How do you see the impact of her work playing out right now? Do you think of particular writers or books that you see as being directly inspired by the kinds of things Rooney's writing about and the style in which she writes? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think her prolific success has been huge in terms of publishers taking a gamble and actively trying to find young women writers writing about, to reuse the word I've used a million times, structural disenfranchisement. But also with, um, you know, a sardonic kind of overbeat and also... um, with generally, you know, a fair bit of sex and despondency. That's a kind of genre that is so pumping right now. And some people are doing it well and some people are not doing it as well, in my opinion. Um, so, like, really good examples of what Rooney's impact has kind of made possible in the publishing realm is, um, I think, Raven Leilani's Luster is absolutely genius and it's about a young black publishing assistant in New York who has an affair with an older white guy and then kind of moves in with him and his wife um, and their adopted daughter. And that book is so wonderful for all of the things that it shares with Rooney and then all of the things that that it adds to it. I think that, I I won't name names because it's not my business to to kind of (laughs) to um, dunk on on, debut authors, but there there are some novelists who, um, who maybe will write better second novels but have definitely taken it in their minds that this is a genre that's selling right now and have done that and have kind of written a muted version of what they think is is sellable at the moment. And I wouldn't blame them for that. People want to get published. But um, I think that the push from marketing people and so on to pump these out is producing some less um, complex novels than, than we would like. Um, but at the same time, it's also producing some really good ones. And especially locally, like um, one that I'm really excited about that's coming out soon, it's not come out yet, is um, Diana Reed's Love and Virtue. It's a campus novel in, like, I love a campus novel. Like We don't have enough of them, I reckon, in this country. Yeah, exactly. We absolutely don't. And, like, you know, you've got the secret history and all the American campus novels. You've got the Rooney kind of stuff over there. But but here we've got this new, um, yeah, Diana Reed's book, which is about two friends at Sydney Uni at Women's College. It's not called Women's College in the, in the novel, but, like, it is. And it's about sexual assault. It's about kind of the ownership of stories. And that is a novel, Diana Reed's novel, that would not exist without Rooney's path leading the way. Not to say that Reed wouldn't have got there on her own at some point, but um, the ground has been trodden enough so that, so that that novel can come out. And that is, it's a really interesting novel. Brilliant. Hey, Madeline, thank you so much for talking to me today. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. 
Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week.